0: THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 532. Ugh. Of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. Nerds, my name is Matt Baum. Best 150 episodes of my life. That's right. I'm
1: the Internet's Joe Patrick. In this week's episode, we're reviewing a bunch of Wednesday, June 12th's new comics with spotlight reviews of Silver Surfer Black Number 1 and Event Leviathan Number 1.
0: After that, we'll review eight more of this week's new comics while crop-dusting the straight pride parade during the ludicrous speed round. Then, it's down to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where... We'll learn the truth behind the Rainbow Bridge, if you know what I mean. And talk about our must-read picks for next week. And finally, Joe Patrick, it's Pride Month. So we're having a big gay show and counting down our top five LGBTQIA comic characters. It's all happening in this loud and proud episode. But first, we better talk about this week's very straight Nerd News. It just wants you to know how straight it is. <laughs> Not that it has any problem with gay people. It is just All exceptionally right. just straight. Just quit while you're ahead. Is
1: our all-inclusive show actually sort of disrespectful? <laughs>
0: Everything we do is sort of disrespectful. Oh, I guess.
1: All right. I guess that makes we it We got to okay. stay
0: consistent.
1: Writer Jared Carmichael has signed on to adapt the 2014 Django Zorro crossover comic book into a live-action movie, according to Collider. The original Dynamite Vertigo crossover was a sequel to Quentin Tarantino's 2012 film Django Unchained with a plot by Tarantino, a script by Matt Wagner, and then drawn by Esteve Poles,
0: who is super talented.
1: Yeah. Set years after Django Unchained, the Django Zorro story finds the slavery era hero living near Chicago with his wife, Brumhilda while continuing his work as a bounty hunter. His latest job leads him to meet Zorro as an older man. The two get along with Django, signing up to help Zorro in freeing local Native Americans from slavery.
0: So this is going to be a movie? Yes. Tarantino's not directing.
1: No studio is confirmed to be involved at this juncture. However, leaked emails from the 2014 Sony hack revealed that Tarantino had been involved in talks with the studio about a film adaptation.
0: Uh, I'd say maybe he produces. No way he's directing this. No way. I mean, whatever. I'll watch it. I love Django Unchained. (laughs) I love Zorro. We haven't had a good Zorro movie since... Maybe Zorro the Gay Blade back in the day. Ah, oh, Nah,
1: man, those Antonio Banderas movies are pretty good. Mm-mm. Yeah, they are. No, watch yeah. them again.
0: They don't hold up, buddy. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What a weird thing to choose to adapt all of a sudden. <laughs> no. Seems... right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Totally bizarre. I mean, I'll watch it, sure. I mean, good for Matt Wagner. I hope he's getting paid. Moving right along to the Vertigo desk, which it looks like we will be cleaning out once again. The <laughs> comics world was rocked this week. By a purportedly well-sourced rumor posted by Bleeding Cool that DC would be shutting down its Vertigo imprint after 26 years of publishing some of the medium's most beloved titles, which should say shutting it down again. They've never shut it down. Oh, come on. They shuttered it, basically. No. While shocking, the news was not exactly surprising given all the upheaval that DC has undergone in recent months such as the uproar over Batman, damned, and subsequent mature content, multiple layoffs, a reduction in its publishing line, and the premature ending no wait just kidding, of Tom King's Batman run, Vertigo itself has suffered one problem after another with its most recent relaunch clouded by sexual assault allegations and a crackdown on adult or controversial content affecting books like Mark Russell's Second Coming and the previously announced but never published Safe Sex by Tina Horn and Mike Dowling. You know what their biggest problem was? was that? They didn't just go for it. This is the problem. No, the problem is that they're scared to go for it. That's my. That's what I'm saying. They're afraid to be Vertigo Comics again. Later on in the show, I'm gonna talk about some Vertigo Comics that like changed the way I thought about comic book characters and how risque they were back in the '90s. Okay, when we were going through all manner of like parental advisory stickers on music and shit like that, and Dungeons and Dragons being satanic. Vertigo Comics did not give a shit. And put out amazing comics because of that, and now they're tiptoeing around and being so careful, and it got them shot in the head. Way well, to the, go! I mean, is that it's never been like
1: so controversial?
0: Preacher, preacher, maybe, maybe. Well, there were other things about Vertigo Comics that were <clears throat> very controversial Meh. that happened, you know, in the pages of comic books at a time where I was like, look at some of the old Hellblazer comics and shit.
1: I mean, sure. look at stories
0: like Son of Man. Look at stories like you know, I mean. There was really shocking, freaky stuff going on. I mean, but there's nothing, Vertigo has never done anything that's been beyond like an R rated. No, I, right? I'm saying it's, but it wasn't shock for shock's sake. This no. wasn't like you're reading, you know, an Avatar book. They made it work and they made you look at parts of society that maybe you didn't quite understand. This is awful. All right. First well, of now, all,
1: now you have stopped reading the news altogether. to I have. editorialize. So here's a quote from the beat uh, that says the rumors may not be as cut and dried as they seem. There's a quote. There's a lot of confusion over exactly what's happening. What I'm hearing, which is subject to change is that the vertigo brand, which was to have seen another big relaunch at San Diego. Good Lord. The latest in a long series of relaunches will be put on hiatus and projects shifted to black label. I'm also told that that could change. I'm also hearing that the layoffs at DC are not over. In fact, there could be some huge ones yet to come. Serious trouble here. DC, as a publisher, has been putting all of their marketing push behind the all-ages stuff, yep. Inc. and Zoom. That's where a lot of the, the market is right now with young adult
0: and all, and kids stuff. And like looking at the Marvel model, Marvel is succeeding very well with it. Yeah, but Marvel's outsourcing all their kid stuff. Right. Well, but still, there's no real adult content coming from Marvel's right now. No. In any sense. They're opening. They're not opening, but they're a huge part of Disney Plus, which is going to be a Netflix competitor, which is all basically PG-13 and South content. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think DC is trying to model themselves here and saying, we're not making any money on this adult shit.
1: I just don't and understand. And we get so
0: much shit on the internet for it. Maybe maybe it's just not even worth our time. I don't
1: buy that. I don't buy the I don't buy the we're getting too much flack for it. and I don't buy that. I, I think that there are new executives in charge at DC and Warner Media that came in when the AT&T buyout happened and now they're just scared as shit to yeah. offend anyone. Yeah. It's not about being embarrassed or getting criticized. It's about driving away money. But What these people are failing to understand is there are all sorts of different audiences. Right. If they put out good content, people will read it.
0: Right. And support good content as well.
1: Like, who did they think that they were kidding saying DC Black Label? Right. Like, you want to tell me it's your place for, like, slightly edgier superhero stories that aren't in continuity, fine, but don't suddenly be putting all of the stuff that would have been Vertigo under Black Label and calling it good. It's just stupid. All you've done is shift the deck chairs. Yeah,
0: that's just stupid. That's, I mean... Ugh, I hate this shit I did too back in the day there used to be we had DC we had Elseworlds we had Vertigo and we understood what happened at those places right yeah
1: right yeah, and what I don't and what I'm waiting for is somebody to reference something that happened in a black label story in a mainstream DC comic oh it'll happen and then we won't know what the fuck to
0: it'll believe it'll happen you we watch. just won't know what to as believe as soon as they have one that sells like more than 100,000 issues watch it's oh, yeah. speaking of things that are dumb
1: DC Universe's Swamp Thing has been canceled, according to The Wrap. The news came just six days after the series premiered on the streaming service. Swamp Thing is anticipated to complete its 10-episode run on the service with episodes every Friday through August 2nd. The series was already under scrutiny as partway through filming, the studio had producers cut the first season from 13 episodes to 10. However, the show was almost universally praised. So, why the quick cancellation? Exactly what I told you! Some reports point towards Warner Media, DC's parent company, and their re-evaluation of their various platforms. Deadline reports that the company is focusing on a larger overall streaming platform that would encompass many of their multiple streaming offerings like Boomerang, Crunchyroll, and HBO. Rumors started to surface late this week that the still unnamed video-on-demand service would launch bundled with HBO, Cinemax, as well as Warner Brothers TV shows and movies at a price point of $16 to $17 per month. Which might sound like a lot when you think I'm only paying X for Netflix and X for Hulu. But, I mean, if you have cable and you subscribe to HBO, right. it's 15
0: bucks. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, even if you're doing HBO Go and you're doing Cinemax, whatever their. uh digital, you know, platform is Skinemexco. You're playing. you're paying I think 12 bucks a month for that. Yeah. This is all that for 16-17 bucks a month? That seems fine to me. And you are putting these shows in front of people that would don't give a shit about the comics and that's sure. what's important. Here's an interesting twist though. Other
1: reports say that the cancellation was more of a profitability issue. Swamp Thing shot in North Carolina, where James Wan's Atomic Monster production company could utilize a promised $40 million tax rebate. This helped DC Universe offset an $80 million first season. Jesus. However, a paperwork error on the part of the North Carolina Treasury meant that the rebate never materialized After it was rectified, North Carolina could only offer 14 million. So stupid. A far cry from the original (laughs) promise, which left Warner and DC on the hook for an extra 26 million they originally thought they'd get back. So, this all seems likely that this is why the first season was cut to 10 episodes and was obviously a huge factor in the decision to cancel the show. I'm saying it's both. Twist, however, very late last night, uh, a statement came out from a guy in whatever office it is in North Carolina that said, bullshit. That's bullshit. They knew
0: about the number that they were getting when they signed the contract. So this is an excuse that they threw out. Yes, it's a liar's lie. Wow. Now, I mean, we talked about it just a couple weeks ago, but the DC app, while very cool for people who love comics, is just not something that someone who doesn't read comics is going to pay for. They're not. Not, Even if even
1: if Doom Patrol, Titans, Stargirl, Swamp Thing are all amazing. Sure. No one's going to pay eight bucks a month for four shows.
0: No, they're not period. And even me, I refuse to do it. And I love all the shows. And I like reading those DC guys. I think it's
1: worth it for me because even with none of the video content, eight bucks a month for all of DC's digital library is right. cheaper than Marvel. Unlimited. But it's just
0: a bad idea. You're getting into a war of entertainment giants right now. And you, DC thinks that they're going to butt heads with Hulu, and they're going to butt heads with Netflix, like with four damn shows, and a library, their old movies and cartoons? No way. I mean, and certainly it was a process. They were building the
1: library, but I,
0: no. I mean, come on. And you throw $80 million.
1: And a lot of, I'm glad they did. I love the Swamp Thing series. It's incredible. And people are quick to point out, very smartly, that like, it took a decade for Netflix to become. Of course. What it is. They didn't have streaming at first. They didn't start streaming until 2012. Right. They didn't start, or the timeline might be off, but they didn't start streaming until 2012. They didn't start with original content until 2015. Yeah. Which I think I might have the numbers slightly I think it was before that.
0: I think it was before that. Maybe it was like they started streaming in like 2010 or 2009. Just like the Marvel movies who took their time and- Built a whole past and made us care about things and ended up with Avengers Endgame, the biggest movie of all time. It paid off. DC is just trying to be like, we're jumping right in there too. And we're just gonna force it down and throw it and everyone's gonna love it, right? Oh, you don't? Okay,
1: cancelled. Fuck it. I mean, it's totally fine for comic fans.
0: You know, like I mean, we're used to it, this neck breaking, you know, pace <laughs> of cancellation and shit. But God, it's just how could they not see this writing on the wall? It just seems so strange. Stupid. In this day and age.
1: I mean, I don't really give a... I don't really care too much about what happens with the streaming part. Like, it was nice to have the old shows and the new shows are fun. Uh, But if it all moves to an all-inclusive app, fine. I'll cancel my HBO and I'll subscribe to this instead. Sure. Figure it out, though. That's my point. Figure it out, DC. What happens to DC Universe,
0: the app? You have to reduce the price. No, you don't. It's already cheaper than Marvel Unlimited. I agree, but... I think when you take all the streaming away, if they take all that away and just say, all right, we're not doing video content there. They will have to reduce the price. Otherwise you are punishing people for something that is not their fault. You are taking content away from Boy, something that we a, were paying for. That's a big old bad move. That is how people will see it. <laughs> yeah. That's a bad move. It's like you did have all this. Now you only have this, but the price stays the same. Sound cool. It's like, I go to Burger King. No, and I get like, it. You get the $5 Whopper deal, whatever. I'm like, kick ass. Like now it doesn't come with fries. Well, fuck you. Yeah. I'm going to McDonald's. Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, you're totally
1: right. I just uh, like if they have to I think they they, I think maybe they
0: underpriced to start. They did, and they still and didn't get the subscribers they wanted. And now
1: they are going to be put in a position where if they take all that video content off the app, yeah. either the app just
0: shuts down, which will be a sh- crime, and they have to completely change it to just a DC Comics app and yeah. just call it like Oh, we're relaunching like, I mean, as like the whatever. the
1: infrastructure it's- is there. You mm-hmm. could easily just remove the video shit and it would be fine. You'd the, still have to change The interface pricing. would be the same, but
0: yeah, I just... People are going to rage. I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, they, they are fucked. They are so screwed. And they did this to themselves. Yeah. Don't you get tired of this? Yeah, do. Don't you I get do. tired of reporting about DC, like, beating itself up? It's crazy. It's just nuts.
1: Maybe Disney should just buy them. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all out of our misery. That is your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while making our Tony Award predictions. That's
0: right. This Sunday, baby. So
1: hit us up on the THN forums, big news section, or better yet, tune into cover to cover live every Saturday where we broadcast on our Facebook page from 1130 to 1230 Central Standard Time. It's like AM talk radio, but for nerds and without all Meghan Markle is a bitch commentary.
0: All all the Is that a thing? Yeah. Remember, Trump called her nasty. And then all of a sudden, all the AM radio tacos are like, yeah, she is nasty. I ain't what I'm tired of. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> so call us at 402-819-4894 or click the call now button on our Facebook page. If you can't be there live, leave a message or you send an MP3 to nerd at gmail.com.
0: She's a goddamn beautiful angel that makes beautiful babies. Who's Megan Markle? She's married to Prince Harry. Oh, okay. <laughs> She's married to the guy that dressed like a Nazi once.
1: <laughs> uh, was that Prince Harry or <laughs> Prince William? <laughs> Prince Harry
0: probably I think it was Harry Yeah Harry's a dipshit I fucking hate royalty (laughs) Wow It's spotlight review time in the Ziggurat where we fill this place with foam and crank up the Euro Techno and scream our opinions we're four the four seats. Joe, I see you been tanning. Why don't you go first?
1: The system is down. <laughs> uh, this week, I'm reviewing Event Leviathan number one from DC Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Alex Malieve. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's just a list. You know what? I'm not going to read it. I read it last week. You know the deal. After months of me talking about it over and over on the show, Event Leviathan finally kicks off for real with this issue. As Batman scales his way into the latest Argus facility destroyed by the mysterious Leviathan, he finds that none other than Lois Lane has beaten him to the punch. Oh, damn. As she's conducting an investigation of her own. The pair discover an unlikely survivor in the wreckage, and the plot kicks into gear, showing the events that led to the current devastation and planting seeds of doubt, which causes blame to fall everywhere except where it deserves to be. After months of destruction, we finally get an inkling of Leviathan's true plan and how he plans to execute it, and the promised team-up of the world's greatest detectives starts to take shape. Bennis gives us Batman the detective here, which I really appreciate. I don't feel like we see him enough. It's always like Batman the guy that punches criminals. Agreed. Or Batman,
0: the guy that already thought of all that stuff and did it off panel when you weren't paying attention. Exactly.
1: I also love the treatment of Lois Lane as a super competent badass. She's not out there punching out supervillains or anything, but she's a gifted investigative journalist with connections all over the human and superhuman worlds. She commands the heart of the universe's greatest hero, and she has the power to take instant command of one of the world's leading media companies. In the Leviathan Rising special, when the new villain was discussing his plans with the leader of Inner Gang, she calls Lois the most dangerous woman on Earth, and I really love that idea. Hot damn. Yeah. I love Alex Maleev, but I had my doubts that he was the right fit for a big event book like this, but man, was I wrong. Maleev's dark, angular art adds to the sense of intrigue a mystery like this needs, and well, yeah, it is an event, in air quotes, it's even in the name. No one is shooting green rays at Starro here. It's a much more grounded story, and Maliv's style totally works. And I love, love, love his take on Batman. I want him drawing a Batman book. Yeah, I do too. I know Bendis has his critics. Sometimes I'm one of them. But while you might notice the odd Bendis dialogue quirk here or there, the characters felt on point to me. I've really loved most of the work he's done for DC so far, and it's all been building to this. I'm
0: giving this a buy it. Totally agree. Event Leviathan is turning out to be... The biggest, most fun thing that I've seen done in the Superman universe for a long, long time. I love that they are empowering the hell out of Lois. I love what Bendis is doing with the story. And you can tell he's having a lot of fun here as well. I mean, there's really not a lot to talk about. We've talked about this ad nauseum. It's yeah, just to review. I'm not going to review another one of these issues yeah. until maybe the end. You're not allowed to. <laughs> it's kind of review proof, too. If you're enjoying what Bendis is doing in Superman, you're going to friggin' love yeah, this. Yeah, this is what Bendis is doing in Superman. Yeah, pick this up. Just buy it.
1: Alright man, I'm, it's been quite a week I totally forgot what you uh, are reviewing this week I hope I read it It
0: is Silver Surfer Black Oh thank god, I did <laughs> Number one from Marvel It's written by Donny Cates with art by Tradmore 32 pages for $3.99 Here is your solicit Spinning out of the Guardians of the Galaxy Number one Almost the entire galaxy's defenders have been blown through a black hole Including the Silver Surfer but the story doesn't end there. In order to fight back the oblivion, the Surfer will have to fight to save his own soul and not lose himself to the void. Follow the Sentinel in the spaceways on a journey that will change him forever! The Silver Surfer is far and away. They're turning in black? Yes. One of my favorite Marvel comic characters. And has to be one of the hardest characters to write in comics today. I'm just so tired of Marvel's PC agenda. It can be so easy to get lost in the Surfer's soul pain. So masterfully written by creators like John Byrne, Ron Mars, Jim Starlin, J.M. Dematteis, just to name a few. So many others have fallen flat with this character. But Donny Cates has proven... As he has with so many of the other MCU cosmic characters that he just gets it. The story spins directly out of the pages of Kate's Guardians of the Galaxy title, which is must-read, top-of-the-pile stuff, and was partially spoiled by last week's Guardians annual, Eh, which Joe gave a buy-it. Cates writes a surfer fighting the very forces of universal creation and sacrificing himself to save his compatriots who were sucked into the black hole with him in the pages of the Guardian's title. There he meets some truly alien foes, and one that Kate's fans might recognize. Yeah! <laughs> the real star of this issue is artist Trad Moore, whose time on the Eilish Kot image book The New World has transformed his art style into something truly sublime. Morris is channeling Mobius and Stanley Kubrick circa 2001 A Space Odyssey with some supremely psychedelic and purely insane backgrounds f- and art. Our friend Chase uh, called it something like straight out of Jodorowsky. Absolutely. Yeah. It was Bonkers! I fell in love with Moore's hard line and geometric style. on his Oh, but as we titles. discussed,
1: there is a weird like <laughs> upskirt shot of the Silver Surfer. Yeah, yeah, server yeah. There is a, when
0: you mentioned it to me, I was like, that's one of the first things I noticed. Yeah, it's this crazy like POV taint shot <laughs> looking up at <of> the Surfer.
1: <laughs> it works really well,
0: though. <laughs> I fell in love with Moore's hardline and geometric style on his Luther Strode titles at Image, but he's become so much more since then. His style is loosened and rounded while holding on to his unique perspective, making him something truly special. This first issue was just masterful, and one of the most exciting Silver Surfer stories I have read in quite some time. I loved this, and I am giving Silver Surfer Black a Galactus-sized buy It. Yeah, I mean, it's great. Uh, I...
1: The last page had me kind of torn because, on the one hand, I like that Cates is tying all of his work together. On the other hand, I'm like, okay, come on. <laughs> but, but, but
0: the rest of the issue, fantastic. I loved it. I really liked the last page because it does tie into some of the other stuff he's doing. Yeah. And if that character is as badass as he made him out to be elsewhere, yeah, then it makes sense. Well, and they talk about it he here where it's here. like, This is a being with the power to cage gods. Right. And that's like, whoa, big deal. That's a big deal. Capital B, capital D. And without spoiling things, they established that in a couple other places. Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
1: Uh, This was phenomenal. It was really breathtaking to look at. uh, And if it had no words at all, it would probably still be a buy it.
0: You know, and quite honestly, this is probably how the Silver Surfer should be written. We don't need an ongoing Silver Surfer series. But when you've got a kick-ass five-issue story to tell, just do it.
1: Yeah, I just don't know if he works stretched over long periods. Yeah,
0: it just when you got a without good idea, completely
1: changing him, you know.
0: Right when you got, a, I mean, that's not to say the last Surfer, you know, series wasn't great. It was wonderful, but it was a fun, wacky take by the Alreds, and I, I loved it. But oh, I, don't uh, read, Slott, right. Allred, yeah. I don't need to read Dan Slott, Dan and Mike already. I don't need to read two hundred issues of that either. Sure. So that is a double buy-it for Event Leviathan and a double buy-it for Silver Surfer Black, both number ones. We will post our written reviews over at TwoHeadedNerd.com so you can take aim and fire them at our taints if you don't like them. But we need to know what you nerds thought of these comics, too. So call us this weekend. THN, cover to cover. Let's rap about it.
1: This week we've been on a strict chili dog and espresso diet while we save up a cache of natural gas for a very special mission. Oh yeah. Matt, and I painted the THN Fantasticar in rainbow colors and it's time for us to crop dust the Straight Pride Parade while we review eight more of this Wednesday's new comics during the ludicrous speed round. With a diet like that, I think it might be a little bit more than a crop dusting. Ah, <laughs> Ludicrous speed, go! Red Sonja,
0: Birth of the She-Devil, number one from Dynamite. Finally, the origin of the She-Devil with a sword can be told. Again. I'm pretty sure we've seen the origin of Sonja at Dynamite at least twice before, but I could be wrong. Writer Luke Lieberman sets up a fairly boilerplate story of young Sonja, who acts and looks exactly like older Sonia, but... <laughs> The art by Sergio Davila was worth the read. Davila's soft style and excellent action panels paired with Ulysses' areola colors made for a beautifully illustrated barbarian tale with plenty of violence and curvy ladies fighting the patriarchy of old. I'm giving it a skimmit. Jughead's Time Police from Archie. Finally! Number one. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Cena Grace and Derek Charm revive this goofy, even for Archie, early 90s concept. This is a thing? It was a thing. I did not know this was a thing. This time in the new hunky Archie style. That's what I'm calling it. Ah. Jughead accidentally poisons the judges at the annual pie-making contest, so of course he has no choice but to learn how to time travel and prevent his mistake. What else does a kid do? I know. This is, quite frankly, idiotic. <laughs> but it's still full of light-hearted charm. Grace's script did rub me the wrong way a little bit as he tries too hard to add a hip sensibility. Look, man,
0: I don't need Jenny Lewis references in my Archie comics. I just don't. Was he like, oh, no, this fighting contest is not lit. <laughs> not quite, but
1: <laughs> I liked Jughead's Time Police, number one, but I also found myself equally annoyed by it. I'm giving it a skim Juggy, your totes murdered him, bruh. Oh. <laughs>
0: Sonata, number one, from Image slash Shadowline. I forgot Shadowline was still an imprinted image, but yeah. it's back with a new title that follows a heroine named Sonata who flies on the back of a giant reptile bird thing protecting her people who seem to have parachuted from their planet to a neighboring planet mm. that's teeming with resources and a friendly native race. Whoa, whoa. Got that? What? But a mean race of humanoids is here to pollute the place and hog all the water. Sure. The story was a little over-narrated and had some strange and slightly forced plot points. But the art and creature design by Brian Habiline was really great and given a skim. Alright. Trustfall, number one from Aftershock. Christopher Sabella
1: reteams with his dead letters collaborator, Chris Visions, for the story of Ash Parsons, a member of a struggling crime family with the ability to teleport anything she wants
0: except herself. Okay, if you got a person named Chris Visions on the book, you can't have your character's name be Ash Parsons. It's too close. Okay? <laughs> I don't know which is which. Who's well, the character? Who's the creator? Ash, Ash, Ash Parsons is <laughs> really? the character. Really? Because Chris Visions sounds like a fake comic name Chris to me. Chris <laughs> Visions is the artist.
1: Uh, as you can imagine, this leads to some tense situations where she has to evade the cops while her cohorts are safe with the loot somewhere else. This is another fresh idea from Sabella, and I love Visions' art. Though I have to admit, his style... It's very painterly, and it's also very, like, kind of thick. Okay. And... I think it's not really a super great fit for sequential
0: art. Okay.
1: I found it sometimes a little hard to follow.
0: Oh, you could do better. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh, I no, see. No, I mean it's beautiful. I get it.
1: Still, <laughs> trustfall number 1 gets a buy it.
0: Gargantua number 1 from Amigo. In a world where giant something or other has destroyed civilization, or maybe just destroyed some of it, and some of humanity was turned into crazy old, bestial hominid things that may have destroyed the rest, Uh, maybe, and follow, or maybe worship an evil leader, one Native American woman fights to find the evil guy that leads to crazy, bestial hominid things and way over narrates everything. Wow. (laughs) There was... Too much going on here for a first issue. I'm sorry. I'm aware there was a zero issue, but come on. The art was pretty solid, but I found it very hard to like the main character, and not because she didn't smile enough. She was just kind of a jerk the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> giving it a it. I wonder
1: what the metrics are for something like this, where it's like, we put out a zero issue with all the backstory. Well, everyone jumped on with number one, right? right. So
0: like... Why didn't you just just make zero the one? Or make one big issue yeah, and put them both in there? Uh, yeah, it's I, weird. It's just zero issues are a bad idea unless it's going to be a prequel thing that it doesn't matter. Yeah, if you after the it up. series
1: has been established. This
0: apparently totally mattered. Yeah, so. <laughs> the ride, Burning Desire, number one from Image. Pardon I, me, the ride colon Burning Desire, yes. number one from Image.
1: I had somehow put all notion of the ride as a concept out of my head, but the gang at Guy Jin Studios refused to let it die. That's a fun idea, an anthology crime series that follows the lives of a large cast of colorful characters that somehow intersect with a particular muscle car. Burning Desire picks up 15 years after the original series, but the creative team does a great job giving you everything you need to know to enjoy it. And I did. Fun, hard-boiled action, great art. Adam Hughes drawing the heck out of a whole shed full of dildos. Whoa. Yeah. The ride, Burning Desire number
0: one gets a buy-in. It. got a lot of dildo play on this show right Major X number five from Marvel. Rob Liefeld's X Elseworld or What If book or what the hell ever this is supposed to be continues to underwhelm. But I had to read this one because Rob reveals the identity of Major X's mom. I mean, it wasn't really a big surprise. And wow, is it stupid. (laughs) I don't know if you know. We all knew Cable was his dad, but wait till you find out who he put that baby all up in. It's Feral. Yeah. Brent Peebles' art isn't half bad here, but the guy cannot draw the beast to save his life. It's so bad. The story is bad, the premise is worse, but the good news is none of this seems to be taking place in any continuity that I can follow. Feel free to ignore it. (laughs) Or as we say in The Ziggurat, leave it. Yeah. Rick and Morty presents Mr. Meeseeks number one from Oni. I don't know how I feel about Rick and
1: Morty sometimes. On the one hand, I think it's occasionally brilliant cheerfully nihilistic, biting satire. On the other hand, the toxic waste dump that makes up the show's fandom is gross and exhausting. That has nothing to do with the show. but some, It carries over. Uh, like it, taint, Not into it, the show. it taints my enjoyment of it sometimes. The Mr. Meeseeks one-shot expands on that concept from the show as the blue beings that live to serve struggle to find meaning in a meaningless existence. Writers James Asmus and Jim Festante and artist CJ Cannon captured the tone and voice of the show perfectly, it's really well done, but without the animation and the voices of the show to kind of bring it to life, the nihilistic <laughs> message is just kind of a lot. <laughs> it's like really heavy. Still, the creative team nails it, so I'm giving Rick and Morty Presents, Mr. Meeseeks, number one, a strong skin. <laughs> wazazazoom! is your ludicrous speed round, and wazazazoom! zoom is the sound of Lieutenant Matthew Shreve destroying a Nazi propaganda printing press, as seen in the pages of Creature Commandos number 105. Not
0: exactly what I would think it would sound like, but I mean, yeah, I'll buy it. Especially
1: with a grenade. Yeah. This onomatopoeia was submitted by Adam Wednesday via Facebook. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can lob it at any of our social media accounts or shoot an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com.
0: Yeah, we'll jump on that thing and we'll cover it up. Well, I mean, Joe will, so I'm not harmed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. a goddamn hero, folks. It's true. I'm a hero, and I'm beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> this week in the Sanctum Sanctorum, we're joined by the Warriors Three. We're enjoying a nice Aperol Spritz and a brief respite from the War of Realms to give us some serious Asgardian gossip. Joey. Apparently everyone in Asgard is gay? That's why they use a rainbow bridge. It was right there in front of us the whole time, just like George Michael in the 80s. Joe, while I start thinking about all my favorite Thor stories in a whole new light, why don't you tell the nerds about your must-read pick for Wednesday, June 19th? Does this mean Frog Thor is gay, too? Bisexual. Okay, yeah, pansexual. I think he's pansexual, because he's an amphibian. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure that's what that means. <laughs> yeah.
1: Alright, my pick for next week is Superman Year One, number one, from DC's Black Label imprint, written by Frank Miller, with art by John Romita Jr. and Danny Mickey. It's, Why are you doing this? It's, uh, it's some pages for seven ninety nine. Why are you picking this?
0: Out of morbid curiosity. <sighs> good lord, man. Yeah. Couldn't
1: you pick something good
0: and review this? Look, man, <laughs> life isn't all sunshine. And rainbows! This is your boy, Superman. You know what they're S- gonna do to him. It's a black label. Doesn't matter. He's gonna have his dick out. <laughs> he won't. He better. DC's scared of it. He better. DC's scared of it. Embrace it. Grab onto that dick and hold on tight, DC!
1: <laughs> Here's your solicit. From the burning world of Krypton to the Bucolic Fields of Kansas, the first chapter of Superman Year One tracks Clark Kent's youth in Kansas as he comes to terms with his strange powers and struggles to find his place in our world. DC Black Label is proud to present the definitive Origin of Superman. We'll see. You're like, How can you pick this? As rendered by the legendary <laughs> comics creators Frank Miller and John Romita Jr. I don't want this. I do not want it. <laughs> I want to. See, I want to know. I, I need to know. I demand. Like this is your
0: main view. Look, review. Oh, of course it will be. Look, them putting it in Black Label gives me free reign to ignore it completely. Guess, if it suits me. But it's also your must-read pick. I mean, I guess I could see why it would be a must-read pick. Because yeah, you're like, like I got a see car it. crash. Right. I got to see, gotta see this. Totally. <laughs> My pick for next week is Yusagi Ujimbo, number one From IDW, it is written and drawn by Stan Sakai, 32 pages for three ninety-nine. dollars is your solicit Follow the adventures of Rabbit Ronin, Miyamoto Yusagi, as he wanders the Edo Period of Japan on his warrior's Journey. In the start of this Three-part story, Yusagi becomes embroiled In a puppet drama where the Players are not quite what they seem Written and drawn by Kanye yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, here's the thing it's in color. Mm. First time we've seen, well, not the first time we've seen Usagi in color, but this whole series is going to be in color. This is the first Usagi number one we've had in like 25 years or something like That's that. That's not true. Yeah. The mini no, seri- Dark
1: Horse has done number one. They're mini constantly series. number one. Mini yes.
0: series. The ongoing, this is an ongoing Usagi series.
1: But Usagi was a series of minis like BPRD. Though no. Yes, there was still an ongoing series. It okay. was an ongoing series. It <laughs> Joe just Patrick was labeled in mini, Shut your stupid mouth. Like you don't know BPRD. nothing
0: about Rabbit Samurai, and we've ah. established this plenty of times. I am super excited for this. I still don't understand why Stan Sakai left Dark Horse. I feel like there's yeah, a story know. there, and if anybody listening knows about it. Drop us a line. I want to hear the dirt, That's old news. We don't need to I want to hear the
1: dirt! We don't need to be dragging anybody through the dirt. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Grave. It's a trade paperback from IDW written and illustrated by Dan Fraga. Dan Fraga? Who is a name I have not seen on a comic book since the 1990s. No doubt. It is 112 pages for $17.99. Here's your solicit. For fans of of coming-of-age stories similar to Stephen King's The Body, the movie based on it, Stand By Me, It, Stranger Things, and E.T., Drawn one panel per day over a year, follow the story of three boys who discover a shallow grave while on a weekend camping trip. But that's just where the mystery begins. The unexpected find reveals a cigar box containing seven mysterious items, a knife, a coin, a pocket watch, a rare baseball card, a gold ring, a silver spoon, and a strange manga comic. Manga. Manga. (laughs) How are these items connected? That's never gonna get old for me. (laughs) Whose body lies buried? Find out in this once in a lifetime tale of friendship, mystery, suspense, and growing up. Damn fucking Fraga. Yeah. So the story sounds kinda cool, but what interested me is that he drew it, it's one panel per day over a year. That seems that's
0: really interesting exercise. Dan Fraga was right there in that image boom. He was a student of Rob Field. I got the I got the I got the comic book DB page to come up. I did too. He did some writing, he did a lot of penciling he back did a, then.
1: See just some bad stuff. Oh yeah.
0: He was like Mark Silvestri via Jim Lee via Rob field He
1: were, he definitely worked for Rob Fields Extreme Studios. Yes. Uh,
0: and he went by the name Boom. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Kid Supreme. Oh
0: Fragga Boom. Well, good. That for was that a Street guy. Fighter 2 joke. just a few of the comics hitting new shelves at your lcs next week head to the thn forums let us know what you're reading but also let us know what you would like to hear us review or read or talk about on the show please tell us your favorite fragaboom comic yeah yeah, yeah. let's talk about
1: fragaboom <laughs> just talking about fragaboom I. June is Pride Month, so we've hoisted the rainbow flag above the ziggurat, and we are counting down our top five LGBTQIA comic characters. Matt, start us off with your number five.
0: My number five goes to the very first gay character I ever encountered in comics. This was years ago. I want to say I was in junior high, and a buddy of mine that was heavy into underground comics gave me a couple issues of Love and Rockets, where I met... Margarita Luisa, Maggie, as we came to know her. Shar oh, man, Chascarillo. <laughs> you did great. She was sometimes called Perla by her family and best friend and occasional lover of Hopi. Otherwise, she dates men sometimes. Most prominently, Ray Dominguez befriended Honey in a punk rock scene in their Southern California hometown. Briefly became a world-traveling mechanic who goes on science fiction-flavored adventures in the early issues. Maggie along with Honey were ranked as number ninety five on Wizards' top two hundred greatest comic book characters. Well, at least they broke of the top all hondo. time. Yeah. yeah, It this was uh, Love and Rockets was a wonderful comic book. Those brothers Hernandez wrote back in the day, and it very much settled, centered around the Southern California punk scene. And I was going through a whole punk rock thing at the time, and they kind of introduced the idea of sexuality being punk. And not necessarily fitting in with normal society. Like you weren't just a punk rocker, but you had feelings for girls that maybe you didn't know if you should have or not. And these two friends came together about it. And it's a wonderful book. It went bonkers for a while there. (laughs) They took it in all manner of directions. I loved Lovin' Rockets, and I loved Maggie. Joe Patrick, your number five. Uh, My number five
1: is Obsidian a DC comics character that I don't believe exists in continuity at the moment. Is it Alan Scott? Alan Scott's son. Oh, that's right. Obsidian. Uh, Todd Allen uh, was his name. Uh, he had shadow powers. That, I don't think he exists anymore. That drove him kind of crazy sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But I remember them establishing him as gay pretty early on, maybe not like in the early eighties, but definitely by the nineties. Definitely in the nineties. Uh, and I just, that was like, it was just, It was commonplace. It was just part of the story. Did
0: they establish that Alan Scott was gay, too?
1: They retroactively made Alan Scott gay when they uh, rebooted him in the New 52. Okay. uh, In the Earth 2 comic.
0: I saw his name come up on some list of gay characters. I did not know. I didn't remember. Yeah, that was a
1: retcon, and it was a New 52 retcon, and that retcon erased two characters that I loved from continuity, Jade, his sister, and Obsidian. Uh, or Obsidian's sister Jade.
0: Why couldn't he have a sister and a kid? I don't get.
1: Obsidian's sister is Jade. They they oh. were both Alan Scott's kids. Gotcha. I guess he could have
0: had. Kids, Why couldn't he have kids?
1: But he was a young guy. Like they re- he was like super young and hot.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. it um, didn't erase him because he was gay. It erased him because he was super young.
1: Well, yes, yeah. I suppose. Um, and yeah, I just really enjoyed uh, that character. Uh, he went through a lot of like very complex struggles and it didn't have anything to do with his sexuality, which I appreciated. it. It was nothing like, look at how he suffers because he's gay. It's like, no, look at how he suffers because the shadow demon lives inside him. (laughs) Uh, and like he, he came from an abusive home. Like Alan Scott's kids had very rich backstories because he didn't know about them until they were adults. Um, and so they had gone through all this stuff. Like the sister was like happy and well adjusted. And the son was like, Messed up. Is Jade around? Jade's not around anymore either. Okay. I don't think so. Um but I love Obsidian and Jade. Obsidian is one of the earliest, like out homosexual characters in mainstream DC that I remember.
0: Yeah. Nineteen ninety what?
1: Well, he's been around since the early
0: '80s. But they did—they reveal they didn't reveal he was gay until like the early '90s.
1: I don't know for sure. Like, so, I don't have that issue. I—I—I no.
0: I, I I couldn't tell you what issue they said. I'm gay. <laughs> P.S. I'm gay. Yeah. P.S. I'm gay. <laughs> Matt, what's your number four? My number four, and you're not going to believe this because I think mm. you thought it would have been much higher. Goes to the Midnighter. Oh yeah, I would have. Yes, I. Simply Adore the Midnighter, who spun out of Wildstorm Comics, first introduced in The Authority way back in the day by Warren Ellis, and instantly introduced as gay, but not in a way that was as cloying and annoying as later on when we would start to retroactively make characters gay, or make them act gay to sell comics and crap like that. This was the first gay character? Who do you... I wanna know what characters you think started acting gay to sell comics. No, I just think back in the day when all of a sudden, like, we decided Iceman was gonna, young Iceman was gonna be gay. I mean, and retroactive was, stuff I get. And it was really poorly written and not well done for the most part. And later on, it got better. But there was a time there where, like, all right, we're gonna put gay characters in comics and we're just gonna hammer them in there, whether they fit or not. The Midnighter was gay from the beginning. The Midnighter came in gay, but my favorite thing about the Midnighter was he was the first gay superhero that scared the shit out of me. (laughs) Midnighter was a fucking... Badass. And I love that Warren Ellis introduced the idea. Like Apollo, his boyfriend, who I also really like, is very much a Superman type figure. Mm-hmm. And he's good looking and he's a glowing guy. Yeah, I mean, they are uh, an analog of Batman right. and Superman. And he's sweet, but the Midnighter is a fucking psychopath, and he is a killing machine. And he's absolutely terrifying. And he's gay and he's not giving a shit if you know
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I so to go back on what you were saying, like I don't have a problem with them saying Established character X is gay. No, I don't need it. Gay characters leading closeted lifestyle right. or gay people leading closeted lifestyles is a thing. Um, it has to be well done though. It has to be well Having Gene Gray read Iceman's mind and go, You're gay. Yeah. Is not a great way to do it. No, it, <laughs> it it really isn't. But I just I like the idea. Which is why like I gave Iceman honorable mention, but because it's such a recent development, like right. I don't immediately go there. It almost
0: feels like it doesn't count.
1: I mean, mean? it counts. I don't want to say that, but like, I've been like for the previous thirty years of my reading of Iceman, I have a different idea of him. So I don't think of
0: it. I same with Alan Scott. I don't think of Alan
1: Scott as a gay character. I just think it
0: was very brave of Warren Ellis to make an out and proud gay fucking badass. Sure, you know. I mean, because that's not something that we see a lot in Hollywood. A big tough gay guy. I mean, other than Vin Diesel. You know. Yeah. Right. P.S. Vin Diesel's gay. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: my number four goes to uh, a character that you probably would never guess I'd pick uh, Pied Piper
0: I knew it I knew you were going to end up with one of these flash villains (laughs) you dork the
1: Pied Piper is a flash supporting character he is he started as a villain he dates back all the way to the silver age Barry Allen Uh, and He's exactly what he sounds like. He's got a little flute. He's got like supersonic flute powers oh, yeah. and he uses it to do stuff.
0: How did we not know? He used to. <laughs> okay. He used to use it to rob banks. It's like when Elton John was wearing feathers and shit. And we, And, sure, er, right. and our parents were like, oh, he's straight as a day is long. I really think he and <laughs> that woman that are going to. Yeah. Women you know? and <laughs> women. Uh, so in the 80s,
1: uh, it was either the very late 80s or the very early 90s. Uh, this was pre Mark Wade. Uh, I had just randomly picked up an issue of The Flash. I think it was Flash number 53. Uh, And it was written by William Messner Loebs with art by Greg LaRock. It guest starred Superman. That's why I was was like, gotta have it. Uh, And in it, there's a scene where Wally is talking to uh, the Pied Piper who has reformed, long since reformed, and they are good friends. Right. And Pied Piper just casually mentions to Wally that he's gay because they were talking about like, for some reason they were on the subject of whether or not supervillains were gay. They're talking we, about gay shit. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, I wonder like if, if some supervillains are gay and, and Wally brings up the Joker and Pied Piper says, Oh, I don't think the Joker even thinks like that. Uh, and he says, I don't, I can't really think of any outspoken, uh, gay supervillains. Oh, except me. And that's it. He's just like, Hey, You're my best friend. I just want you to know. Yeah, and it's not a big deal. No, and it's like, and he's been that way ever since. And that was that's probably. I think that's definitely the first time I saw a gay character portrayed in a positive light in in a
0: mainstream comic. Not to mention the way in a mainstream superhero. Not to mention the way that they introduced the idea in a conversation. This is how it happens. A friend comes out to a friend. You know, and I mean, this may
1: have even been before North Star.
0: No way.
1: Can't. Uh, no way. I mean, it was real close, though. They just didn't make a big news deal out of it. Yeah, I guess. That's true. Like, he didn't stand in front of a podium and go, I'm gay. Yeah. Like, North Star did. Right. He's just like, no.
0: I, predict, I picture him more like, I'm gay. <laughs> yeah. you know? He just, like,
1: confided to his friend. And it right. was a real sweet moment. Yeah. And Wally was, like, kind of awkward about it. But later, they became closer. And it's, he's a great character. I love the Pied Pied. He
0: really is. My number three. ...goes to a Grant Morrison character. Straight out of the pages of The Invisibles, ladies and gentlemen, Lord Fanny. Somebody was on the same Google search I was Uh, on this morning. No, I love this character. (laughs) Lord Fanny Was a male-to-female transsexual and a member of The Invisibles. She was born Hilda Morales in 1972. Lord Fanny was raised as a girl by her grandmother, who was a notoriously fearsome witch, because men in their culture could not become witches. Grandma thought that was bullshit. (laughs)
1: Before joining Invisibles, but Fanny— But she's biologically male?
0: Yes. Okay. She became—she yeah. was raised as a girl, and then she became a woman. Gotcha. Fanny was initiated into magic at a very young age. She ends up living through the series, and later on, we find out in the future, she got really fat. <laughs> okay, so that was the thing. She was, like, super touchy about her looks, and she was always gorgeous, and, like, dudes would hit on her and stuff, and she would totally play on that. <laughs> Again, this was Grant Morrison— At a very young age for me, I read The Invisibles and Grant Morrison introducing the idea of transsexual sexuality challenging, you know, normal, straight sexual normal, straight sexuality, basically.
1: Transgender, I believe, is the correct term now. Yeah,
0: okay. Transsexual,
1: I think they phased that
0: out. Yeah, that's probably an older, but he was using the idea of the transgender person to challenge St- the straight world. And the Invisibles were all about that. The whole group sure. was a group of weirdos and misfits that were working in reality despite reality, you know? And oh, man, such a wonderful character. I love the origin. Like, grandma was a witch, accidentally ended up this little boy, but like loved her and was like, You're gonna be a girl. And the little boy was like, I don't feel like a boy, so okay.
1: <laughs> sure. Yeah. Awesome. Love that character. Uh, my number three goes to Renee Montoya. Sometimes known as the question. Not anymore. Now the real the not the real. That's dangerous. Uh the previous question is back. Vic Sage. <laughs> the real straight sorry, question no. is
0: back. Uh hey, he might be gay. We don't know. Vic Sage is gay.
1: Yeah. Is
0: Vic, he? Vic Sage is gay. Well, oh, there you go. Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm speaking specifically. Remember there was name that on Batman
0: toilet. story when they went to visit Richard Dragon and Vic Sage was like, Yeah, he taught me Kung Fu too, but he wasn't just my teacher. Oh, and shit. we found out that Richard Dragon was gay.
1: Was that the Batman Huntress miniseries? Uh, maybe. Greg Rucka.
0: It was wrote definitely it. Greg Rucka. Rick Burchett did the art. Oh, you know what? No. I think that may have happened in 52.
1: Oh, maybe. I think that that's. In, uh, that one's all about, like, yes. Vic Sage dying yes. Like slowly. Yes. Vic dying. Sage
0: was training uh, Renee Montoya and took her to meet Richard Dragon, and he was like, he's not just my teacher. And she uh, was like, Woo. Yeah.
1: Uh, so, all right, that's cool. I forgot about that, but yeah. I am thinking specifically of Rene Montoya. Ricky
0: Dragon. Ricky Who? the Dragon Steamboat. Gay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: Rene Montoya was a character introduced in the Batman animated series that was later injected into comics. She is a phenomenal character in yes. the Batman universe. I love to raise um, the
0: question so much.
1: I did too, but some of my favorite Montoya stories came during No Man's Land mm-hmm. uh, where there's that whole uh, tension between her and Two-Face where, like, Two-Face is kind of... It's kind of like an obsession, you know, and he's been messing with her life. And then later on in Gotham Central, where she is uh outed by some unseen force at the, at at first, and it like kind of brings her life to a crashing halt because yeah. she was in the closet, right? And she comes from a very conservative uh, Latino household,
0: and the cops are weird about it, yeah, because cops are cops, yeah, cops, man. And uh, I just thought it was such a great cops are dicks. Yeah,
1: (laughs) I just thought it was such a great handling of that story. And Montoya was a character that never really shied away from who she, even though like she
0: didn't wear her personal life on her sleeve, she was true to who she was. Well, and the story was she was not ashamed of being gay, but she did not want to be outed that way. Right, she wanted to own it.
1: And she also didn't like her relationship to her family was important to her,
0: and she knew that her
1: family wouldn't be able to handle someone taking
0: that. Power from, power from her yeah. was the story, and it was
1: um, fantastic. But Ma- Montoya is such a great, complex character, and yeah, she became the question, and that was fun for a while. But I really loved Montoya, the cop, yeah, with, when she was partnered with Crispus Allen. She dated Batwoman for a while, right? She, yeah, she, her and Batwoman had a thing, yeah. Um, but yeah, I love
0: Montoya, love her, fair enough. My number two goes to the biggest, sexiest. Bisexualist character in Marvel. Yeah. Great big shirtless Herc daddy, baby. Yeah. Hercules. 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 Hercules is my number two (laughs) as well. I love Hercules and have always loved Hercules. And while Hercules was never, back of the day, they didn't come straight out and be like, "Oh, yeah, well, yeah, Hercules is Greek. We sleep with boys and girls. That's just what they did. They were super. I
1: mean, he's a Greek god. They're probably, they don't get hung up on sexuality.
0: No. Greek sexuality was way more open than it is today. You know, like dudes had consorts that were male and female and whatever. You know, we party. That's how they, like, they called it a party. <laughs> right back in the day. So, they never, like, came right out in the, you know, 80s, 70s and 80s when Herc was an Avenger, but they definitely, like, there was some wink-wink, nudge-nudge stuff, and then later on... I mean,
1: it's firmly been addressed, I believe, at this point.
0: Yeah, later on, Marvel would full-on say, yes, Hercules is absolutely bisexual. Now, here's the thing. We're making this Eternals movie, and there's all these hints that they're they're gonna show us their first gay character, and while I would love to have a gay character, why can't we just have Hercules be bisexual? Like he is. Why do we have. Her- to why do you think it's going to be Hercules? That's the rumor.
1: Hercules is not an eternal.
0: Uh, he's in the movie. And the, I doubt and it. The rumor is that Hercules is not in the eternal nerd movie. bet on yeah. the rumor is Hercules is in the movie and he is gay and they're going to introduce why him. Why can't as a he gay just character. be gay? He can, but I would rather he's bisexual because that's what the character is. And if you're going to do it, just do it where it's like, yeah, this is more. It, I'm not one thing. I'm, I'm whatever I feel like being, and that's perfectly fine. Deal with it. I think that not only breaks that barrier, but shatters the barrier. You know. So the reason I uh, I had Hercules as
1: my number one, but I moved him to number two because, of course, we all know Hercules
0: is bisexual. Right. It, it's not a secret. It's not something they ever played up. No, they didn't. It's like his whole love life was kind of like that, though. Like we knew Hercules was sleeping with tons of people. He's a sexy freak. And he was just like, whatever. But he was a gentleman about it. There was there's even like, uh, I can't remember what comic book it was, but there was an episode where Snowbird from Alpha Flight was like talking to all these different women, and they all realized that they had slept with Hercules, but never really talked about it. <laughs> and then Snow and Northstar is with them there too. And she was like, Do you want to say anything? And he's like, mm, Nope, gotta go. See ya. <laughs> and they're like, Northstar too?
1: <laughs> yeah. So he gets I, around, but he's a gentleman. I, you I, know? I demoted Hercules in number two because not it's not like it's, four. <laughs> No, Thor (laughs) is What? I just wish that they
0: would I wish it were a more prominent part of his character. And it's not really. Um, I kinda like that it's not though, because it's just it is part of his character, but it doesn't define him. It doesn't need to. Yes, but that's also an easy way for writers to
1: ignore it if they don't want to deal with
0: it. Well, that's a writer by writer basis. I, I, what I'm saying is I like the way it's been handled with the character where it's like, he doesn't think about this shit. This is just who he is. Sure. He comes from a time where this was what society was and why do you have any fucking problem with it? Why do we even need to talk about this? It's ridiculous. Fair. If, I just wish that the writers at
1: Marvel were not such big cowards. Fair enough. Anyway, my number one, um, these guys are a package deal in, in my mind. It's Midnighter and the Apollo. Fair enough. Uh it's the Midnight and Apollo, not yeah. midnight at the Apollo. <laughs> I wonder if that's uh, where that came from.
0: Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I just uh, <laughs> I hadn't
1: thought about hey. it. Until just now. <laughs> um but yeah, for all the reasons you stated, uh I, I love that they are a loving couple, uh that they are out and proud, that there is no question that they are happy to be who they are, and uh nobody dares give them shit about it. No, <laughs> because Night, uh, Midnighter will drive his stupid little spike, uh, chin spike through he your brain. He took off.
0: He doesn't have that anymore. Yeah. We got rid of that. That was a dumb uh, time.
1: But I just think, uh, and, and you know, there's part of the like part of part of their creation was like a a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the whole like gay subtext of Batman right. and Superman, which really doesn't exist that much not as much as it does with Batman and his sidekicks it's
0: huge it's way bigger than that nah
1: yeah um but yeah Batman or Apollo and Midnighter I just always loved their relationship I love them together it's adorable and to separate them like to say Midnighter's my number one and Apollo's my number four that doesn't seem right
0: uh to me they are one fair enough I just made Midnighter one my number four due to the fact that I like the idea of the gay badass which we had
1: yeah I know uh, I want to give honorable mention. We mentioned Iceman earlier. I, I think it's great that they are going that direction with the character. I think it was dumb how they did it. Um, I'm giving an honorable mention to North Star, which I'm stunned you did not mention as a big Alpha Flight fan. I haven't named
0: my number one yet. You, you haven't? No. Sorry. My number one goes to North Star. Sorry. I jumped the gun. You
1: idiot. I jumped the gun. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Come on. I thought Hercules was your number one.
0: Jean-Paul Beaubier.
1: He French. He French Canadian. He is
0: a French Canadian member of Alpha Flight. Later we become an X-Man because he's a mutant. His sister and him have similar powers. He can run really fast.
1: He flies really fast. He can run.
0: Oh, he can run and fly really fast. Yeah, but they never show him He North can just play old running. just plain old move fast. Yeah. Period. And he can shoot like photon bolts out of his hands.
1: I thought he just had like light bursts.
0: Yeah, I mean they I guess. But boy, that's photon bolt. I don't know.
1: But not like energy beams, right? Not like zaps.
0: Sort of. I think so. Oh, hmm. Yeah. I mean I've Still seen. I've seen him do he's that. He's got before. pointy ears. He's got pointy ears, sort of like a weird elf thing. I don't know. <laughs> he, uh, Chris Claremont created him years and years and years ago and always had the idea that he was gay, but Marvel Comics wouldn't let him be gay. So they sort of hinted at things here and there in the pages of Alpha Flight. Later on, Uncanny X-Men, he full-on came out gay. No,
1: in, in Alpha Flight, he came out as gay. Oh, no,
0: that's right. In the 90s. That's right. In the nin- Well, yeah, not the original Alpha Flight series, but in the 90s.
1: That was the original. Alpha yeah, that would have been series. the end of it. it. ran yeah. for a hundred and plus issues. He
0: came out there, and then later on in the pages of Uncanny X Men, they had a big gay wedding. The first
1: gay wedding. Oh, ever it was in astonishing. It was in astonishing X Men, yeah. astonishing X Men number fifty.
0: Yes, where he married uh, his boyfriend Kyle, who they just sort of threw in there.
1: No, he was an existing character. He had been around for a while. he, yeah. had, he had powers and everything. Kyle had powers? I think so. No, Kyle didn't have any powers. Kyle was a normal dude. No, I believe he was a character. Was he a mutant that lost his powers? Maybe he did. Like an M-Day of. He had some sort of air powers. Yeah, keep talking. I'll look it up. Huh,
0: I don't remember that. Regardless, I've always loved the character, and I loved that he sort of carried over from Alpha Flight to X-Men because he was a mutant, just like his sister and stuff like that. And I love the way that they wrote him and Kyle's relationship because it was very loving and it was tender and it was believable. And Jean Paul before that had always been kind of a playboy, you know, he was sort of a hip swinging gay dude. And I like that He settled down a little bit, although the wedding was a little heavy handed and we didn't need to make a whole big issue out of it. We could have just had it be a storyline, but still it does break barriers and that's important. We had a gay wedding in a comic that is breaking a barrier. I'm glad it happened. Glad it happened in North Star. It was a touching issue.
1: Uh, so, Kyle, Kyle's first appearance uh, was Uncanny X Men 508 in 2009. So, I'm mistaken. I yeah. was confusing him with a different Alpha Flight tangent.
0: I character. didn't think so. I think Kyle yeah. was just somebody they kind of threw in there that he had met. Yeah, yeah. Notre Star is my number one. There are so many other great LGBTQIA characters out there, and we would love to hear. Yeah, I mean, from there you needs to be more.
1: There needs to be more, and and they need to do it in ways that aren't like ham-handed. Mm-hmm. You know, like I have an honorable mention for Batwoman, who is probably the most prominent. Right. I would say in the current day, most prominent gay character at, at DC. A very
0: well handled gay character as well. Yes,
1: and I think that she, I think her character is well handled in the books. Mm-hmm. I hated the way they introduced her. Or they're just like, guess what? There's a new Batwoman coming, and she's a lesbian. Right. It's like, I understand you have to walk the line letting people know, hey, there's going to be this representation that you might be interested in. Yes. But they use it as a marketing tool. It's like, lesbian Batwoman. Right. And to this day, I still see articles that say, uh, CW to launch new show about lesbian Batwoman. Like, stop.
0: But that's the story.
1: I Is it, though?
0: Yes, it is. That is the lead. It
1: it rubs me the wrong way, and I don't know why. Maybe that's
0: my privilege talking. No, 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 no. And it's not because I don't want to know about it. It's because I don't want it used as a tool. I get it, but there's no good way for the press... And not just that, but for the creators to get this out there and let them know that this is inclusionary and this character is different, other than doing it that big, I guess, stupid way. I guess
1: I just feel like there's you a better I mean? way. I feel like there's a better way, a more subtle way. And I and I know that might be like kind of the flip side of saying, well, if you want more gay characters, then create new characters instead of making my characters gay, right? Which is bullshit. But I just I wish there was a better way to convey that message instead of just using it to sell comics. I agree. But it's also important.
0: It is important. You know, just like I said with the wedding, like it was a big thing and it was stupid the way they marketed it, but it was groundbreaking and it was the first gay wedding in comics. So what good. Was it? it was. It was the very first gay wedding in comics. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. And I that just, is
1: important. Because, and Because the cynic in me knows that these companies right. aren't doing it. Of course to for the right reasons. No, they're not doing they're it because They're doing it to get brownie points because the LGBTQIA
0: the community right. has been persecuted for and so that's long. that's
1: why yeah. it makes me feel icky. Right. But I agree I you're right when you when you say that there's that's, that's the, part of the story.
0: That is the headline. It's part of the story. It really is. Yeah, anyway. Sucks is the way that people react to that headline. That's what sucks. Yeah. More than anything.
1: Yeah. Like I thought like I thought the idea of Iceman being a closeted gay man is so great. Yeah. And they handled it so shitty.
0: Yeah. I, I mean that's a tough one as well. I don't admire Well, they were they were also in a rough spot because there were two icemen running right. around at the like, time. Like does that mean like the other Bobby Drake? Yeah, the adult, the adult, one adult is Bobby gay? Drake is gay, yes. And now he is, right? Yeah, he is. Yeah. Full on. Which again, I think you have to do that. I don't think you could say like, oh yeah, the, the little Bobby Drake was gay, but then he grew out of it. You know, it's just like, it's like cat I allergies. I mean, they, 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 like they would have done some, they would have
1: done some alternate timeline bullshit where it's like, well, that's an alternate timeline. But right. they went out of their way to say, no, they went back. The timeline was restored. Their right. memories were wiped. And when the original five went back in time, the adult versions suddenly had all those memories. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's fine. I just, I wish straight writers wouldn't be such idiots about the way they do things like this. Well,
0: I mean- Look back in the day when white writers were writing Luke Cage, you know? I mean, it's it's very similar. I suppose, you know. That's where it comes in, that's where it's important to have representation in the creative process. Right,
1: right. There's something to be said for. So we can have an
0: authentic voice.
1: There's something to be said for hearts being in the right place, but there's also something to be said for, hey, like, maybe this is not your lane to be in.
0: True, but I'm also saying that you can have an authentic voice without being you know, that person, but it's, it's, you've got to do it right. And you're walking a razor's edge, man. Yeah. You've got to be really careful. Yes. Like Greg and Rucka, for example, writes women, writes some gay characters very, very well. Yeah. He is on a list of maybe two or three straight people I can think of that can do that. It's very difficult.
1: Yeah. I just, yeah, I think that Not impossible. I think that, you know, a, a respect is needed, mm-hmm. uh, and an acknowledgement of maybe your own ignorances You and, Reaching out to others for information for for um right. their perspectives, for different perspectives. Yes, yeah, so if
0: you're gonna do this, you have to have the right representation yeah. so it comes off as genuine and not as a shtick to get people to watch your show or to buy your comic.
1: Yeah. But we're talking about corporate comics here, so it's everything always everything is a shtick. It's always gonna be that. All of it is a shtick. It's always gonna be that. <laughs> yeah, it So you might what as well right. not have any everybody might as well just be like the same shade of gray. <laughs> They have no sexual organs. They're the same shade of gray. No,
0: bunch of Barbie and Ken dolls.
1: Yeah, smooth down there.
0: Excelsior. That is it for THN 532. And the script for 533 is being held hostage by Vanity Smurf after he did not make this week's top five. Joe Patrick, I always thought Handy Smurf was way gayer and better looking. You know what I mean? Huh? It's just because of the name. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Send him a new question of the week
1: for these nerds, will you? Alright, this week's question is an oldie submitted by Ketnerd via the THN Forums. Who is the most authentically portrayed teenager in comics? What character, even if they have fantastical powers, still reads as true to their age and resonates with your experience of having been a teen? If you're choosing a franchise character that's had lots of creative teams, be specific about which writer was able to capture that feeling of youth great question
0: it's a good one it's a tough one
1: i like to point out that we really need new question of the week submissions yes uh we do this every week and sometimes it's a struggle to find one right and we're not that creative
0: no well we are we just don't like doing the work we're lazy
1: well we're creative but our ideas are just very first
0: and foremost we're lazy (laughs)
1: um but yeah if you don't want to go to the forums that's fine we have a section of the forums to submit ideas but you can email them to us, post them on the Facebook page, please, send them please. to us on Twitter. It doesn't matter. Submit question of the week ideas. God bless him. Our uh, our lawyer, Ryan Forrest, texted us a question of the week idea that I did not use because the whole question was find a superhero character for Johnny Lee Miller to play. Yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> like, I get it.
0: You want to kiss Johnny Lee Miller. That's great. The answer <laughs> is
1: Manchester Black. Let's move on. <laughs> Manchester Black. Yeah. That's interesting. Because he's
0: British. Well, now you're just being racist. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sorry, folks. If you're new to this show and you're wishing you could pray this episode away, oh I assure like, you... I am <laughs> having second thoughts about the way we've handled this. <laughs> it's only because you haven't heard enough of it. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN. And our digital longbox archive at 280 But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like our brand new patron, Nicholas... Grasso! Like,
1: you have to wonder what these people are doing this late in the game. Have they heard the show?
0: Uh, maybe they just came on board. Maybe
1: they haven't heard this episode.
0: Yeah, they haven't heard this episode yet. That's for certain.
1: <laughs> I wonder how many patrons are going to cancel. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to cartoonist Dustin Harbin, who was recently in a bike accident that caused him to land face first on asphalt Directly on his mouth. That's what you get for riding your bike, dude. I know. <laughs> don't do it. His upper jaw had to be surgically reattached. I don't even know how that works. Your upper jaw? I thought your upper jaw was part of your skull. Yeah,
0: that's like the lower jaw rots off and it's just the upper jaw. I like don't know. Like Magnola comics, right? He also <laughs>
1: lost several teeth, which will need to be rebuilt Shit, and replaced. Man. Needless to say, Dustin has a huge new financial burden to deal with. We talk about the insurance bullshit situation and freelance creators health we're not gonna do that again dustin needs help i'm gonna share a link to his gofundme page in the show notes the good news is is that people are coming out of the woodwork to help him good good um he is a mess there's a picture of him on it god where do you dustin stick to walking for a while maybe? yeah no doubt
0: take it easy yeah bro. uber Uber. Until next time, True Believers! Remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just knock all your teeth out of your fucking head. This is the two-headed nerd! Violent! Signing off! I mean it could have been something like happy and inclusive, but no. The retailers don't do happy inclusive things. We know that. You just have to be violent about <laughs> it.